0: Hello and welcome to Startup Europe, the Sifted podcast. I'm Amy, Sifted's editor. And I'm Eleanor, Sifted's deputy editor. And at Sifted, we report on Europe's tech and startup sector. And on this podcast every week, we have a peek inside the Sifted newsroom. We talk about the biggest things the journalists have been reporting on, and we speak to some
1: of the people making the news. In this week's episode, we're going to be digging into new rules in the UK for listing companies on the stock market as the country tries to entice more businesses to list and go public on its shores. And we'll be hearing about a new startup that's raised money to bring professional style football statistics to the amateur game.
0: We're also going to be joined by Hannes Kloper, the CEO of German mental health platform Hello Better, which has just raised 7 million euros to help it expand into the US. And we'll also be joined by our journalist, Aina Kelly, who's talking us through France's plans to save the metaverse. If you're interested in all things German tech, a little reminder that on the 25th of May, we are holding our very first in-person Sifted event in Berlin. Our Sifted sessions tickets are still available, especially if you are a startup founder or employee. So please check that out on the Sifted
1: website. Eleanor is going to be there. I will indeed be there. Let's kick it off with some news from the UK this week. The country's financial regulator announced plans this week to shake up the rules for listing companies in the London Stock Exchange and hopefully entice more companies, especially fast-growing tech companies, to go public in the UK. Amy, tell me a little bit about what's happening.
0: So after a pretty bumpy year for tech listings in 2021, when we saw companies like Deliveroo, Darktrace, Wise all go public, listings in London have dropped off a cliff. They've dropped off a cliff everywhere, but they've really dropped off a cliff in London. So the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, the UK's financial regulator is concerned about this and wants to do what it can to entice more tech businesses or businesses of all kind, but especially these kind of fast growing ones to list in London. So it's proposed some new rules, which are yet to be fully signed off. They're under consultation that would scrap the requirement for companies to have three years of audited financial accounts before they list, which would obviously make it easier for tech companies that have maybe grown really, really quickly to list. It would also allow founders to hold more of these shares that give them more voting rights, which is much, much more common in the US. There are some other changes as well, but I think these ones are the ones that are most pertinent to startups.
1: And what has the reaction been, Amy? So
0: I spoke to a few investors yesterday and they thought that this was overall a pretty positive step. These changes would be helpful. However, the two that I spoke to did Say that in order for the UK to be more attractive as a place to list, a whole bunch of other stuff needs to happen that's sort of out of the regulator's control. The much brought up topic of needing more growth capital so that companies can grow here in London and also in Europe and get big enough to then be an attractive listing proposition and also that we need more experienced advisors so board members and people like that and also analysts the people who work at the banks etc who write about companies that have listed to really make this what one investor referred to a deep ecosystem
1: why is this a problem and an issue in
0: the united kingdom so some of those very hyped listings that happened in 2021 have since gone quite badly so Delivery not doing so well. Deliveroo's listing is pretty broadly considered to be a bit of a failure. There were lots of things that happened in the lead up to it listing and then afterwards, which didn't paint an especially positive picture for London listings. And then just recently, Arm, the Cambridge-founded chip maker, which had previously listed, then it had been taken private, and now its listing again has decided not to list in London, but to list in New York. And Its founder, Herman Hauser, had some pretty cutting remarks. He said, because of the Brexit idiocy,
1: the image of the London Stock Exchange has suffered a lot in the international community. You mentioned this a little bit, but Arm used to be listed in the UK, and then it was taken private by SoftBank. There was a lot of debate about whether it's going to do a dual listing in the UK and the United States, but they have resoundingly chosen the US. This doesn't just apply to UK companies, right? The UK also wants to be a market where strong, fast-growing European tech companies also want to come and list. And I don't think, based on what I've heard talking to companies who are potentially thinking about listing in the next couple of years, none of them talk about London being their market of choice. I think big companies like, for example, Northvolt, that's one that a lot of people are really looking at. When are they going to IPO? definitely one that would think about the us from regulation standpoint depth of capital standpoint the us for a lot of companies is going to be the biggest market and so why wouldn't you list there?
0: big topic one to keep watching So now let's move on to some fundraising news. This is a new company that caught our eye this week.
1: Pre-match. Eleanor, you're pretty into this one. Why? Yeah, so I did play football when I was younger, but I can't say that I'm like a huge sports fan. But the way that I got to know pre-match was one of their angels actually came to me a couple months ago and he was like, there's this company that has the most creative investor communications I've ever seen, which sounds kind of boring. But when you've got a bunch of angels on your cap table, when you're raising early rounds, that's a lot of people that you need to communicate with. So Prematch wrote this fascinating little peek into how they do investor communications for us and they do all this cool stuff. They're obviously a content and stats app for amateur football players. But when they got to the communication stuff, they did stuff like if you were an angel, they would send you a jersey that was like branded. They would give you your own football card. And they actually even played a football match against their angel investors, which is actually amazing. Who won. Their team won. The pre-match team won 11 to 7. They track investor NPS scores, so investor satisfaction with them, and they were saying that they'll look out in the coming months to see if that impacts investor satisfaction. Oh my God, with amazing! Eleven seven suggests there were two extremely awful goalkeepers on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, so I love when we can follow companies along their journey, and so I was really excited when they came back a couple months later. To say that they had raised this seed round. It's so cool when you see a company that you've worked with before go on the next stage of their journey. So the seed round was led by the Schaddeberg family office. And they're going to use it to basically increase user engagement on the platform. What does PreMatch actually do other than playing football against its investors? So it is a content platform for amateur football in Germany, tiers 4 to 12 in the league system. It's got news, statistics, and player profiles, including mock transfer values. It's free, and it's mostly used by the amateur players themselves. And it's pretty impressive what they've done. They say that roughly a third of the one million adult amateur players in Germany have downloaded the app since it launched nationwide in August 2022.
0: And it sort of aggregates news, posts, stats on matches, top goal scorers, etc., which I'm guessing is a slightly underserved market. You know, you don't open up a newspaper or watch match of the day or equivalent in Germany and get news
1: on leagues 10. Yeah. And I guess the question that people would have when they look at something like this is how does it actually make money? So they're working on partnerships with a number of brands and then the brands would donate prizes to top performing teams so that would get potential customers engaged. For example, a beer company could give a crate to the team that wins for the league and that gives that beer company exposure with people.
0: So on the back of the funding round, it's hoping to double its users this year. We have seen Lots of other apps and startups do pretty well in niche sports or grassroots sports. You've obviously got Strava, much loved by many of my friends, runners and cyclists who love to tell me that they got the second best segment of the year running along a stretch in a park or whatever. Very, very popular app. And then Strava's bought some European startups like FatMap, which is a German app that lets skiers plan and share their ski trips. It bought that in January this year. And then there are other ones. There's a business called Fan Prime in France, which partners with sports teams to engage their fans. And one in Denmark, which allows youth footballers to track their performance and engage with other players. Fun little subsector to watch now staying in germany we are joined on the line by hannes clopper the ceo of german mental health platform hello better which has raised seven million euros as it plans to scale up its business and expand into the u.s hannes welcome to the show thanks for having me tell us a bit about what hello better does
2: Hello Better builds digital therapeutics for mental health care. We help people learn what they need to do differently in order to feel better.
0: So what are some reasons people might be using Hello Better and how would Hello Better make them feel better?
2: (laughs) We cover a range of indications from burnout, panic disorder, chronic pain, vaginismus. So it's a broad range of different indications or, or mental health conditions where we use cognitive behavioral therapy to help people change their lives in a way that lowers their symptoms and allows them to feel better and lead happier lives.
0: There's been a new regulation coming in Germany in recent times, hasn't there? It's called the DIGA Act. Can you explain to non-Germans or Germans who haven't heard of that what it is and, and how that's useful for
2: Hello Germany is the first country that established a reimbursement pathway for digital therapeutics. What does that mean? It means that public health insurance pays for these kind of products and patients get to use them for free when the doctor prescribes them. And uh, this is super important for companies like ours, because prior to that, we had contracts with individual health insurance companies. Patients often weren't aware that they were eligible to use these products for free. And now that you get universal reimbursement, that is the moment your product gets approved, all health insurance companies have to pay for it. It's a lot less fragmented. It's a lot easier to communicate to patients as well as to doctors that these treatment options exist and that they're available for free.
0: We have some stats in the piece we wrote about Hello Better that digital take up is still pretty low, which is 0.03% in 2022. So what needs to happen for loads of Germans to start taking up the offer or to find out about it?
2: It's always a question of what you compare it to. So the 0.003%, you compare it to all of the prescriptions that are written in a given year. And in that sense, the uptake is really low. If you compare it on an international scale, Germany is leading by far in terms of the uptake of digital therapeutics on a global scale. To my knowledge, there's no other country that has a similar level of prescription therapeutics that are being written and used. Of course, we'd like to see a lot more, and it's about educating physicians as well as patients about the existence of this new treatment modality. It's about reaching out to them and demonstrating the effectiveness of these products. I think one important next step is that the patients that have used them and have used them successfully report back to their doctors, to their therapists, the improvements that they've seen so that prescribers gain confidence in these products and prescribe them at scale.
0: So why are you heading to the US? What's the plan there?
2: We recently got breakthrough device designation by the FDA. What does that mean? The FDA has a program for innovative products that address an unmet need and a life-threatening condition, and they classified our panic product as such a solution. And that means that they will work with us to shepherd our program through the approval process. We'd like to invest now in getting the Panic product approved as a first step to then get all of our other products approved afterwards. That's what's required for these products to be eligible for prescription in the U.S. market.
0: In terms of the competition in the US, it feels like maybe people are more used to using apps for things like mental health, apps like Headspace, quite popular over there. Is that a worry? Or do you think that means more people will adopt Hello Better faster because they're used to it?
2: Products like Headspace, they're more in the wellness category, so they don't require this kind of regulatory approval. They also don't make any treatment claims, so they don't promise to reduce the symptom severity of a specific mental health condition. Of course, the fact that they're in the market and that people are familiar with the idea that a digital solution might help them feel better, I think, is potentially an advantage. Generally, the U.S. market is, of course, very competitive and we are under no illusion that 7 million euros will be enough to conquer the U.S. market. It's what enables us to focus on commercialization in Germany and lay the groundwork for future U.S. expansion by seeking this approval.
1: Finally, we're joined by our journalist, Ana Kelly, who doesn't write for us all the time, but when he does, he delves into some fascinating things. He's written about the cheapest way to get to space for us before, which I fully enjoyed reading. And this week, he delved into France's plans to save the metaverse. Eina, tell us where this idea came from and what's going on in France.
3: Thank you, Elinor. Well, it just occurred to me that the metaverse is having a pretty tricky year. I think it's facing a, a harsher reality in 2023 than it was last year. Our inboxes are not teeming with pitches anymore. I think it's been completely overtaken now by this Gen AI hype. And if you look around, you quickly see that there's big companies like Disney that are shuttering their metaverse plans, Microsoft doing the same. Facebook's metaverse vision continues to be a bit underwhelming. Whenever we see these little screen grabs of... What they're doing it just doesn't look great i think it's fair to say the numbers have pretty much plummeted across these platforms there's a few quite popular names like the Central and the sandbox that a lot of people were using last year you could go to these websites these virtual worlds and attend events but now it seems that in any given day you could have several hundred people maybe attending these virtual worlds. I was checking some of the stats this week and 400 active users in the central land, for instance, in one recent 24 hour period. These aren't huge numbers. I think it went as low as 38 at one point last year, which a lot of reporters seized upon gleefully. A lot of metaverse skeptics were writing about. For sure, the enthusiasm has dried up a little bit here. So it tickled me a little bit that France was now suddenly getting involved. It seemed like the boats had moved on on this one. I was keen to see what they were up to and whether they could get in there and salvage this thing.
1: What exactly was France doing? I also love you point out they don't call them metaverses in French because obviously we need to find a French word for everything. So they were talking about « univers virtuel à la française ».
3: I'm really glad you pronounced that, not me. I would have offended a few people with my French there. So, it's quite pragmatic from France, you could say. They see this as an opportunity to boost their creative industries. They have big gaming companies too, like Ubisoft. They have big cultural institutions. So, I think they see the metaverse as a way to boost French cultural heritage, which might actually be a better use of the metaverse than property speculation, which seems to be what a lot of crypto people are doing on there.
1: So we already kind of had a taste of what a French metaverse could be, or at least one vision of a French metaverse.
3: Yes. So President Emmanuel Macron was going for re-election last year, and he decided to have a how-do-you-do-fellow-kids moment. He created this little virtual world, dubbed the Macronverse, and people could interact with this. You could mosey around this little picturesque town square, go to a cinema, go to a kebab shop, all the while seeing lots of billboards with Macron's face on it, which is quite nice. This was just his way of showing everyone that he is quite into tech, as we know, that he is treating this metaverse or this virtual reality quite quite seriously. As he said in interviews leading up to the election, Not only is it about boosting creative industries, but also about reducing dependence on American, Chinese players. This is a big consideration always in European sovereignty, how to avoid a situation where we're using American tools all the time, which happens regularly.
1: (laughs) I guess we're going to have to wait and see what happens after France has had this call for public comment, which closed two days ago now. Yeah, we'll see if they build anything or anything comes out of this. That's for you to write, Aina. I'm looking forward to it. That's all we have time for today. If you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of European tech and startups, you can find our coverage on sifta.eu, or you can read all the articles that we talked about in this episode in the podcast description. You can also find a
0: link to our sifted sessions happening in Berlin. If you want to meet some of these wonderful German companies that we have been talking about today, please also sign up to our newsletters. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on LinkedIn, follow us on any social platform you can find us on, but perhaps not Strava. And let us know what you think of the sifted podcast. You can email us at hello at sifted.eu.